Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Friday, June 22nd, 2018. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the Supreme Court rules on cell phone tracking. YouTube gets channel memberships. Twitter literally smites smite. The Elon Musk sabotage saga gets weirder. And of course, the weekend long reads suggestions. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. The Supreme Court has seemingly decided that it's just going to make tech news headlines this week. In another 5-4 decision today, the high court ruled that law enforcement officials need a warrant to get mobile phone tower records, the method by which they can track a person's location, where they've been over an extended period of time. The court said that obtaining such data without a warrant, as police have routinely done up to this point, amounts to an unreasonable search and seizure under the U.S. Constitution's Fourth Amendment. The ruling was written by Chief Justice John Roberts, who joined the liberal justices in the majority. Quoting Roberts in the decision, We decline to grant the state unrestricted access to a wireless carrier's database of physical location information, end quote. He added, however, that police can still avoid obtaining warrants for other types of business records. NBC's Pete Williams described the decision as a victory for privacy advocates, writing, quote, In recent years, the justices have shown a willingness to extend digital age privacy protections. The Supreme Court has ruled that police need warrants to search through the contents of smartphones or to attach a GPS tracking device to a car, end quote. To be clear, this is an entirely different issue than all those recent stories we've discussed about cell companies selling your location data to third parties. But both stories stem from the same fundamental reality. The very way cellular technology works is that your carrier has to triangulate your signal between various cell towers. As you move around, it has to ping your device to know where you are so it can hand you over to successively different towers. Cell companies keep track of this movement for very fundamental things like signal strength and billing you for roaming. And police can obtain these records and piece together a person's whereabouts over various days and months. In the case ruled on today, which was Carpenter versus the United States, there were a series of armed robberies of radio shacks in the Detroit area. Police then used cell data to track a suspect to 12,898 locations over the course of 127 days. Friday's ruling says police can still get phone records without a warrant in emergency instances, such as a fleeing suspect, or to, quote, protect individuals who are threatened with imminent harm or prevent the imminent destruction of evidence. Man, if you're a content creator, your options for scratching out a living online have really exploded in just the last few weeks. Last night at VidCon, YouTube announced a whole slew of new monetization options, including channel memberships and integrations of merchandising. First, let's talk about memberships. YouTube had been testing the ability to sponsor channels on YouTube Gaming for $4.99 a month, sort of like how Twitch does it. 
This is now rolling out to YouTube proper, but there are a couple of catches. Creators will need to have 100,000 subscribers or more, be over the age of 18, and be members of YouTube's partner program. But the $4.99 per month membership price point stays the same and includes custom badging and custom emoji. There will also be a members-only section in the community tab where creators can occasionally post live streams, additional videos, and other perks. As for the merchandising, starting today, creators can sell swag directly to their fans. Creators with more than 10,000 subscribers can offer things like t-shirts, hats, phone cases, or toys. Apparently, the creator of Lucas the Spider turned his character into a plushie and claims to have sold 60,000 of them, netting $1 million in profit in just 18 days. YouTube specifically announced a partnership with Teespring to help creators sell t-shirts, and the deal is structured in a way that you could actually make more money selling through YouTube than if you sold t-shirts directly. Finally, if you just want to make money off of live video, YouTube also announced a new feature called Premieres, where you can create a landing page so you can do promotion ahead of a video's release with chats embedded. Upcoming premieres can appear on the YouTube homepage and in recommended videos as well as in YouTube search, so this is a good new way to do promotion. YouTube also hinted that its version of Stories will arrive for eligible creators later this year. YouTube said in a blog post, quote, YouTube creators are the heartbeat of our platform. That's why we're committed to building products that empower and support the creator community. We hope these tools help creators build a stronger community and earn more money while doing it. Because when they succeed, the entire YouTube community thrives, end quote. Overall, YouTube says the number of creators earning five figures a year on the platform is up 35%, and the number of creators earning six figures is up by 40%. So yesterday morning, Twitter announced that it was buying Smite, a startup that described itself as trust and safety as a service. Smite was founded in 2014 by former Google and Instagram employees, launched out of Y Combinator in 2015, and offered tools to help mitigate online abuse, harassment, and spam. Terms of the deal were not disclosed, but it was a notable story as A, it was Twitter's first acquisition since 2016, and B, hey, it's Twitter buying a startup that helps fight trolls and bots, and that sounds great, right? Smite seemed to be well-regarded, with several high-profile clients, including Indiegogo, YouFundMe, Quora, TaskRabbit, and more, who all plugged into Smite's REST API, which allowed the company to spot trends in user behavior and then build machine learning models that would create custom rules that would block harmful actions. Sounds like that could be useful for Twitter especially after they launched that automated algorithm to shush Twitter trolls. However, mere hours after the announcement, Twitter just shut down Smite's API, just like that, with no warning to existing customers. Apparently, some customers got a phone call letting them know the API would be going down, but that left them with basically no time to prepare. And existing customers were, shall we say, not pleased. On Twitter... User Giacomo said, Holy S, Twitter bought Smite and immediately shut it down. We had a three-year contract with them, and they just disappeared overnight. No communication at all. They just turned their servers off, closed our shared support channel, and walked away. What the actual F? Lori Voss on Twitter said, quote, A vendor notified us of their acquisition at 6 a.m. this morning. 
and shut down their APIs 30 minutes later, creating a production outage for NPM. The sheer unprofessionalism of this is blowing my mind. It takes weeks to negotiate and sign an acquisition. You didn't find out at 6 a.m. You couldn't give us a week, even a couple of hours, to take your service out of our critical path and avoid an outage? Effing shocking behavior, end quote. As TechCrunch's Sarah Perez noted in her coverage of this, quote, to reiterate, Smite is a provider of anti-abuse and anti-fraud protections, not something any business would shut off overnight. So yeah, even if Twitter always intended to buy Smite just for its own use, that's not exactly a good way to handle an acquisition that has existing business relationships. And as Matthew Ingram pointed out on Twitter, quote, for a company that already has a problem-plagued history when it comes to its relationship with developers, this is a pretty bad look, Twitter. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it, and it's impossible for you to forget, and do it for a hundred different sites, and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1,000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at 1Password.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to 1Password.com slash ride. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. So remember that story of the employee, Martin Tripp, who was being sued by Tesla after allegedly hacking the company. We assume also that this was the same person Elon Musk was referencing when he emailed Tesla employees about sabotage. Well, Martin Tripp was interviewed by The Guardian, 
And Tripp claims, far from a saboteur, he's actually a whistleblower who is trying to report serious Tesla production problems to the press. Tripp told The Guardian, quote, I'm a scapegoat because I provided information that is absolutely true. This is obscene. It feels like I have no rights as a whistleblower, end quote. Tripp was a former process technician at Tesla's Gigafactory and said he leaked information to a reporter at Business Insider because no one at the company would listen to his concerns. Tripp says he was worried about high rates of, quote, non-conforming material that ended up being wasted, as well as a batch of battery cells that were mistakenly punctured. Quote, I kept bringing this up to management, supervisors, anyone who would listen, Tripp told The Guardian. Everyone just said, yeah, whatever, end quote. And now, in addition to this, the sheriff's office in Story County, Nevada, where the Gigafactory is located, said it received information about a security threat to the Gigafactory, but determined, quote, after several hours of investigation, there was no credible threat, end quote. Tripp says that he, coincidentally or not, was visited by sheriff's deputies Wednesday night. And Tesla has said that it has increased security at the Gigafactory as a precaution. And then, on top of that, the Washington Post got records of an email exchange between Tripp and Elon Musk himself. I'll link to the emails in the show notes because they're too long to read here. But just to give you a taste, they include Tripp telling Musk, quote, Don't worry, you have what's coming to you for the lies you have told the public and investors, end quote. And Musk responding by saying, quote, You should be ashamed of yourself for framing other people. You're a horrible human being. So given that, I give you this. The reason this Martin Tripp news was greeted by collective head scratches when it first surfaced earlier this week is because Elon Musk has been, shall we say, colorful of late, with weird late-night tweets, outbursts at federal officials, direct confrontations with the press, and even analysts on actual Tesla earnings calls. What with Tesla's perilous cash position, according to some analysts, and the company's admitted production troubles with the Model 3, frankly, some people were beginning to wonder if Elon Musk might be cracking up a bit under the pressure. But over at BuzzFeed, they have a piece up that points out Elon Musk has always been sort of at war with the media. Quoting from the piece, None of this is new for Musk. He has always been the architect of his own image and has long run roughshod over journalists and his own communications team alike. In interviews with BuzzFeed News, nine people who previously worked with Musk and who requested anonymity to preserve their personal and professional relationships said that while the level of scrutiny on the CEO may be new, his behavior is not. What we are seeing is less a crack in his well-being than his facade. It is Elon unbound, end quote. Quoting from several of the former employee interviews, here's one. Quote, it doesn't strike me as some drastic change in his personality. Said another former employee, quote, you don't sleep very much when you're in communications at Tesla because you don't know what's going to happen, end quote. And finally, another unnamed former employee says that a lot of this is down to Musk's relentless personality. Quote, I would never say he has this controlling desire to do all the things. He frankly just loses confidence that others can do it. And hey, who's to blame him? He's the smartest guy in the room. It's that time again, the weekend long read suggestions. Let's start with two comeback stories. 
Two years ago, Twitter stock was trading at $14 a share and people were writing obituaries for the company. But now Twitter's user count is actually growing. It's actually been making money for several quarters and its stock is back at $46 a share. How did Twitter rise from the ashes to make the obvious bird-related metaphor? Over at BuzzFeed, Alex Kantrowitz takes a look and decides that it was a combination of luck, ironically a pivot to video, a decision to stop trying to be Facebook, and most importantly, a decision to focus on news. Quoting from the piece, It's hard to overstate the importance of Twitter's decision to tie its identity to news. For years, you could ask Twitter, what exactly are you, and not get a straight answer because Twitter itself didn't really know. The abundance of communities that formed on the service, sports Twitter, black Twitter, weird Twitter, meme Twitter, celebrity Twitter, and so on, made it difficult to pin down. And Twitter couldn't settle on one thing it did really well. But in April 2016, Twitter made that call. It moved itself from the social networking section of the iOS App Store to news, ceding the former to Facebook and its satellite apps, end quote. In Bloomberg, a similar piece about Nintendo. A few short years ago, people were saying that Nintendo was doomed because it had missed the boat in modern gaming. And then Nintendo came out with the Switch, and suddenly it's the hottest thing in gaming, alongside Fortnite, which, of course, you can play on the Switch. In a piece called The Legend of Nintendo, Felix Gillette looks at exactly how and why every time you think Nintendo is down and out, it can reinvent itself so successfully. The big news yesterday was the resignation of Brian Krasanich, the CEO of Intel. At The Verge, Tom Warren says that Intel now faces a fight for its very future. Quote, Intel is in an odd position of market dominance and emerging threats that, in many ways, echoes Microsoft's position before Satya Nadella took over. Intel and Microsoft have followed in each other's footsteps for decades under the famous Wintel Alliance. While Microsoft has diversified its business thanks to the reach of software and its focus on the cloud, Intel has reacted more slowly. Intel now needs to find its own Satya Nadella, who has the engineering knowledge to steer the company in the right direction, all while accepting that the company's consumer relevance doesn't necessarily matter anymore, end quote. Finally, I cannot recommend highly enough the cover story in this month's Wired magazine. It tells the inside story of cryptocurrency Tezos, which once had the largest ICO ever and raised $232 million, but then devolved into a bizarre story of infighting, backstabbing. There's also a love story in there. And as the author of the piece, Gideon Lewis Krauss, writes, quote, what began in utopian ambition would blow up into one of the crypto world's biggest scandals, end quote. I have a link to the story in the show notes, of course, as with all the long reads. But also, why not go out and buy the physical magazine? Wired always has such lovely cover stock. It's Friday, everybody, so get down to that Friday music. I meant to make this joke earlier in the week, but I couldn't find a decent recording. So hopefully if I jack up the volume all the way, you'll be able to hear this. Enjoy. Spock, sabotage the system. Spock, restore the atmosphere. Spock, sabotage the system. I wish I knew what to do. 
Observations, Mr. Spock. Okay, we have line 193 again with uh, sabotage, can I sabotage? I don't say sabotage. You say sabotage. I say sabotage.